Welcome to the Knowing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bachman, a licensed professional counselor. On the show, we explore who the real Jesus is, with his love, with his power, and with his endless pursuit of humanity, with the hope of changing our lives. Good morning. Today we'll be reading John chapter 4, verses 43, through John chapter 5, verse 15. After two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is, in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd and was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you were well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself, 
He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. All right, are you ready to dive in? I have got my pumpkin spice latte. Please don't judge me. I actually even made it myself, and I'm very proud, and it's delicious. But I digress. Are you ready to dive in and unpack today? And I'm not going to lie to you. For some reason, I had to look over this text a few times because nothing was really jumping out at me at first. And I had to kind of pray and sit with it and think about it. And then finally, some things came to my attention. But before we do that, I just want to recognize that I am still learning to do this podcast. So I want to apologize when it sounds like my voice is changing. It's either I changed the position of the microphone, changed the levels. Sorry if that's jolting. If it isn't, please let me know. Um, and maybe I have other audio files out there who are obsessed and pick up on it. And maybe I'm making too big of a deal. But either ways, apologies if it's distracting. And now back to processing. So here today, we have two stories of miraculous healing. We have the healing of the official's son, and then the healing of a man who had been lame for 38 years. We see at the beginning of the story that this is Jesus's return to Cana, the place where he performed the miracle of turning the water into wine. I find it interesting in this story, it never really stood out to me before, but in verse 47, it says that the man comes to Jesus and he begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Now, directly after this, Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. My mind goes a number of different directions. One, Jesus knows the hearts of human beings. He knows that we are so hardened we are prone to disbelief. And so how kind that God, knowing our hearts, was willing to meet us where we are at and perform signs and wonders so that we could believe in his message and in his son. Another kind of random thing that's standing out to me is that Jesus does not have a formula. So sometimes he's interacting with people and just his presence or his kindness, his love, um, I, I would argue probably the gift of prophecy, if you will. He's speaking into people's deep parts of their hearts. And they're like, how does this guy know who I am? Like, think of the Samaritan woman. He's just having a conversation with, with her. There's no real miracles. Yet she feels seen and known and loved all at the same time. And she comes to know Jesus. And then now today we see miracles being the way that some people are coming to know Jesus. I just have to wonder 
if Jesus <laughs> knows the formula, so to speak, of our hearts, right? So like some people need extra measure of love. Maybe some of us are more cynical, and so we need to be wowed or shocked or surprised by a miracle. I'm just wondering and guessing here, but I know that our God is wise and smart, and he's also very relational and personal, because I don't know many people that have very similar stories. I mean, sure, there's, there's like themes, right, of how God is reaching people, but he does it very differently every time. Another way to look at this, this is the counselor in me coming out, is that God is attuned to us. Now, what does attunement mean? Attunement is being able to see someone in their moment, in their emotions, knowing what they need. It's being able to slow down and be relational enough to see the other person and meet them where they're at. Let's use a radical example here. We do have a cat, but let's say we have a cat, I hate it, which I don't, and the cat dies. Attunement is, even if I hate the cat and my wife is sad, I'm seeing her pain. I don't go into logic mode or fix-it mode and say, well, we can just buy another cat. There, there's plenty of cats of it. Like That's not attunement. Attunement is saying, even if I don't understand what you're experiencing, I care about you, and I see you in your moment, and I can show up for you. Think of it like radio frequencies, right? Like if, if you're looking for the radio station and sometimes you have to turn the knob a certain amount of, of times to get the right signal. And if you don't turn the knob enough times, if you're not on the exact signal, it's a distorted signal. You're not getting the full message of the speaker. You're not getting the full quality of the song. You may not even get anything. Attunement is dialing in to the other because you care about them enough, you love them enough to slow down and see them for who they are. God does that with us because he knows what might work for me might not work for Ashley, might not work for my friend. And we should learn from God that if God is willing to meet us where we are at, we should meet other people where they are at as well, both relationally and as we're sharing the gospel. So back to the story, we see that Jesus is doing this. He's seeing that people are stubborn and they don't want to believe and they need proof and signs. And so instead of just writing them off and giving up on them, Jesus is willing to entertain the struggles of humanity and provide signs and wonders. Now, this also is an act of great compassion and love, as is more explicit in other passages in the text. As we've seen, then Jesus heals his son with the word. He doesn't need to be present in the moment. He's able to just command from a distance for the boy to be healed. His father comes back with delight and joy in his heart to realize that his son is okay. And he and his whole household believe in Jesus because of this wonderful, gracious miracle he provides. Then we see in John chapter 5, a story that has a little more context and interactions surrounding it. Here is a mysterious, and I would even personally say confusing and frustrating part of the text. Chapter 5, verse 3, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and paralyzed. And yet, as we're going to see in the story, Jesus seemingly only heals one of them. And more confusingly, 
the story says, he was paralyzed or disabled for 38 years. My limited human mind wonders why, God, why would you wait for 38 years if you're willing or going to heal someone? I know there's times in my life, whether for need of physical healing, pain, emotional pain, I needed and wanted God to heal me. And sometimes he seems to wait a really long time. And that can be so painful and so confusing and frustrating. And I wish I had some incredibly wise wisdom that could make it all better and take the pain away or promise that there was going to be healing. But even in this story we just read, Jesus only healed the one man. And then he's immediately caught up in conversation. Now, sure, it's possible he could have gone back to heal other people, but we would be absolutely reading into the text and sharing and adding information that there's no hint that it's there. Here I'm reminded, (laughs) yet one of many tensions that we as Christians are invited into, because I know there's Christians who don't believe that miracles can happen to this day, that healings don't happen, that spiritual gifts don't happen. And that's just not true. They still do. And it's really awesome. But then on the flip side, we can go to the other extreme and think that they're always going to happen. That if you just pray, if you just have enough faith, if you just ask God enough times, he's going to give you anything and everything you want and specifically healing. And that's just not true either. We can look to many examples in the Bible that show that whether Paul, who had a metaphorical, likely thorn in the flesh, something he prayed time and time again for God to remove. And yet God says, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect in weakness. We can also look to Hebrews 11, which the majority of the chapter talks about what we might call victories and miracles and, and God doing awesome deeds but we would be missing the importance of that last part of the chapter where they look like failures. It says, and there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers, mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what they had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, that only together with us they would be made perfect. So what does this mean? Whether we get the healing or we don't, we are supposed to journey well with ourselves and with others. If others aren't getting a healing or a miracle, we don't chastise them for not having enough faith. We grieve with them. We love them. And we sit with them in their pain and empathize with them like Jesus does in the Gospels. Remember that story? where Jesus knows he's going to heal Lazarus and he doesn't chastise them for not having enough faith. He knows he's going to heal and raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet he still grieves with the people. That is a beautiful image of our God. 
and an image that we should embody as well, that whether we get a miracle or a healing or not, that we love well and we sit well and we encourage and support well. We're invited into the tension of asking and praying and being vulnerable and saying, oh, sweet Jesus, please heal me. Please take away this pain, this sickness, this injury, whatever it is, this loss. And sometimes he does. And sometimes he doesn't, this side of heaven. And whether we are the one experiencing the pain and the suffering and have to endure, or whether we see those around us who are suffering, we're at a minimum. At a minimum, we are called into suffering well, which is an offensive and difficult phrase. The one suffering to endure, and the one watching or observing to support and love and be kind. I know many friends and family members who have shared stories about Christians who I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that they were well-meaning, but when they push and force and say, basically, if you don't have enough faith, like you're not healed because you didn't do something. And friends, that is not the case. We are not the power providers. We are only vessels and conduits of God's power and God's love for that matter. We do not have that strength and our own ability. No faith in the world can change for whatever reason may be God's will for someone to have some kind of sickness or to allow, not necessarily to have. That's part of the fall. God didn't want that to happen. And I know this topic can create so much pain and so much frustration. So I do ask that you give me a grain or a truckload of salt as I tell my friends as I'm, I'm working through these weeds. I myself had back pain, just came out of nowhere. I don't know, I was in my early 20s and it lasted for five plus years. I've had depression my entire life since I was eight years old. And then after a couple years of having relief finally from my back pain, I was in a car accident and now still suffer with back pain all over again. I finally got relief only to enter into a story of pain yet again. I know it's not God's desire. I know it's not God's will, both for my physical pain and my emotional and mental pain. I share that mainly to provide context so that this doesn't seem just like lifeless head knowledge information, but these are things that I personally have had to wrestle with as well. And so we see this interesting story where Jesus heals one man and not others, and it's a mystery. But beyond that, there's other things going on in the story as well. Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. He's being a righteous rebel, and I use that term very loosely because he's holy and perfect, but he's pushing back against man-made rules and laws that are just used to condemn people, not to honor God. But before we talk about legalism again, I noticed something in this text that I haven't noticed before, that the man is basically placing his faith in this mystical uh, legend of, if you go down to the water, an angel is going to stir it. And there's this mysticism or whatever around the sense that there's this magic in the pool. 
because he, he keeps thinking about the pool. If I just get to the pool, if people take me to the water, then everything will be okay and people are getting in front of me. And it's amazing how Jesus meets this man, even though his, his eyes are set on the wrong thing. He is looking to a false source to fix him, to heal him. And Jesus still meets him in there and reveals himself to this man. And right now, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking about The Chosen. Uh, it's a TV show you've probably seen it. I mean, I think they have a half a billion views right now, which is amazing. And they do an incredible job, as they usually do, unpacking and showing different possibilities um, of what is going on and doing a general good cultural context for the situation as well. But this is what's so amazing about God. He can see our broken hearts and our misguided ways, and he still wants to meet us and point us back to him. Yes, we, we can't forget that part. He's not just like, okay, you got the false version. I'm just going to give you what you want and move on. He doesn't disqualify this man for placing his faith in the wrong thing, but then he does, Jesus, point this man back to himself. He's gracious and kind and compassionate. And I find this convicting for myself because I so easily can get caught into legalism and rules. And I can be less patient and gracious with people. You know, so what if we disagree on various parts of theology? So what if we see things different? If Jesus is central, if Jesus is God, if the core points are there, that is what needs to be emphasized. All this other stuff doesn't really matter. We can get so caught up in our denominations and perspectives and how do you baptize and how do you do this and how do you do that? Well, guess what? It doesn't actually matter as long as Jesus is central. That is the unifying factor. That is what makes a Christian denomination. And we don't need denominations, but the the reality is like we're broken human beings, so we're going to fight and bicker. But we need to be so aware and to push back against that and really highlight and delight and enjoy when a brother or sister puts Jesus as central, because that's what matters. I don't care what denomination you have. If Jesus isn't central in your faith, that's not Christianity. So why fight and bicker over the small things? We should see our brothers and sisters as brothers and sisters instead of enemies. Spoiler alert, remember in John chapter 13, it says they, the world, will know we are Christians by our love. And this love is for, yes, the world and non-Christians, but also each other. Why in the world would anyone want to be a Christian if our main image is fighting not only with the world, but one another? We can't even handle each other. They will know us by our love. I'm struck by how much in this world we want to, and I say this as Christians and non-Christians, our flesh, our sinful nature, our human nature, our non-God-like nature resists accountability, taking ownership, and realizing how stubborn and difficult that we can be. Now, on one end, our world's climate probably is rightfully pushing back against a long history of religious structures only emphasizing depravity without dignity. But now we live in a world where we almost only want to look at dignity 
instead of also holding depravity. Human beings are this mysterious creation. Because of the fall, we have both immense dignity, but also immense depravity. And it's so much easier to go black and white and think that we're all good and excuse our wrongdoings and not hold accountability and make excuses and be defensive or go the other extreme and just say we're terrible dumpster fires and have no mercy, no kindness, no compassion. Again, if you've been following along with us, this is another point of tension that the Christian is invited to walk into. If we only see someone's depravity, that is not the way that God looks at people. If we only see people's dignity, we're idealizing them and not holding the whole picture either. Well, this brings an end to our episode today. We've covered a lot of ground. I would love to hear from you all. Comments, questions, thoughts, things that stood out to you, things you want to learn more about, and just connect. Well, listen to the outro for more information, and I can't wait to connect with you again. Thank you so much for listening. I'd love to hear something you've learned or want to learn more about. You can share comments and continue the conversation on social media. Links are provided in the description. You may be wondering, hey, Brian, we're supposedly reading through the New Testament in five months, but you only cover 40 verses every other day. How is that possible? You, my friend, are observant. The short answer is we are building towards more content daily. But I also need your help. Liking, sharing, telling your friends are all very helpful. And the most helpful thing you can do is to become a supporter for as little as $4 a month. Thanks again for listening. And I can't wait to dive into more life-giving scriptures with you.